Clarkston doing some training with Brother Eric and his family. There were 10 people with him that have sensed God's call to move to Clarkston from, around, from different parts of the country to help them reach the refugees there. It was a great blessing to be there and to help invest in the kingdom of God there. I secondly want to draw your attention to our illustrious pastor and family who are sitting on the back row back here. Welcome back. <laughs> Hallie, can you just like wait? She's got the baby in her arms. Yeah, oh, that's cool. All right. Welcome back. <clears throat> so um, Jeff's email spoke of the finishing up in our series in Acts, and we really are, but I wanted to do that to sort of tie a bow around the things we've seen from Acts with this passage from Romans, and we're calling it the three I am's of gospel obedience. Four weeks ago, we looked intensely at the book, the, uh, the Day of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, and we saw that the Spirit came with a great, mighty, rushing wind. That was a, a picture drawing the Jews' uh, attention to the fact that God was separating them and this newborn church for the work that he had for them. And he made a distinction between the church and the rest of the people. God's heart is for the world, but out of the world, the church, ecclesia in the Greek, the called out ones are set apart for God's holy work. And on that day, Tongues of fire appeared, illustrating that God's anointing, the anointing of his spirit, was to affect the proclamation of Christ with the mouth. We saw that. And its effect was that the word of God was proclaimed with accuracy and with boldness and with an offer of hope to those who needed to be saved. The next Sunday, we looked at a passage that helped us know how to stand amid the hostility against the gospel that we experience in the world. And we, we, we see that there's a clear distinction, as of last Sunday, between real faith and false faith. There are some, I hope not in this room, but there are some who have embraced a type of religion but have missed the relationship with God that is there in Christ. Romans 1 is our passage today, and it's a short passage, so what I'd like to do is have us just read it together. I know you just sat down, but could we stand in honor of the word together? <clears throat> I like that. And let's read this together. This is from the New King James Version. You'll understand why in just a moment, but if you could read with me, I'd like that. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let me pray one more time. Father, again, I ask you, as Douglas did, to help us absorb your word and to understand it, 
and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, the three I am's, hopefully you saw those in the text, beginning with a wording that I'm borrowing from the ESV and the New American Standard uh, instead of the New King James, because I like, I think it's more um, in our vernacular. I'm under obligation. Now, again, let me draw your attention to the old wording, a debtor and being an obligation are exactly the same. If you have a debt, you are obligated to pay it. <laughs> so they actually mean the same thing, but I do like the, uh, the wording better, being under obligation. Both renderings are accurate. <clears throat> the opposite of being indebted, though, is being entitled. If we have a sense of entitlement from God, then grace is something we feel that we deserve. Forgiveness is a small matter to us. And gratefulness for being forgiven is nearly non-existent. We should all have a sense of indebtedness or obligation to God if we are, in fact, in Christ. Because Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit <clears throat> and that your fruit should remain. If you're obligated to the Lord, you will also be obligated to the people the Lord gave his life to save. But let's be honest together. Aren't there times when we don't feel obligated to the lost? Sure, sure there are. But I want you to notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say in the text, I feel indebted to people. He said, I am indebted. I am under obligation. So there's a big difference between feeling it and knowing your calling. Because if you just wait to feel it, you'll obey God whenever you feel like it. But if you understand your calling, you will try to walk in that calling whether you feel it or not. you know why God puts those obnoxious non-believers near you in the world? Because you're there. <laughs> because you have the light. And people act lost. Lost people act lost because they're lost. <laughs> they need Christ. That's why you're there. Paul's calling and ours is to obey Christ. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? Because walking in the commandments of your superior is exactly how you demonstrate love and obedience. So what do we do, family of God? What do we do if we don't feel, if we don't find ourselves without this sense, this feeling of indebtedness to us? Well, I suggest acting in obedience anyway, trusting our emotions to follow. It, it's rare that it works the other way around. It's kind of like being married, if I can use that illustration. You know, wouldn't it be lovely if you just had a hot passion for each other all the time? <laughs> all the guys are, yes. <laughs> it isn't, doesn't work that way, though, does it? No, much of your relationship 
is lived simply being committed to each other. I remember, <laughs> I don't have permission to tell you this story, so I'm looking at my wife. She knows what I'm about to say. <laughs> to tell a story about us, I usually get permission, okay, but I didn't today, but she knows I've told this story before. So there was a really hard day in our house one day. I was still, in, I was in Bible college, seminary, you know, supposed to be walking with God, being a man of God. I was anything but, and got to feel guilty mid-morning. This was back before cell phones, so I found a phone on campus, and I called her, and I, as is true for me, I try to, to, to um, undo the stress with a little humor, and so I, she picked up the phone, and I said, hi, honey, are you madly in love with me? A little bit of silence there, and she said, I'm committed. <laughs> Well, doesn't that illustrate the point, though? <laughs> How many of us know we love the Lord, we know He loves us, but life just crushes in on us, and we don't feel like we're in love with Him, and we don't feel obligated to the lost around us. But the mature perspective is that we walk in obedience because it's the right thing to do. Can I get an amen to that? Well, that was weak. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Maturity pursues God in the absence of emotions. We simply do it out of understanding that he is the Lord, we are his people, and he's commanded us to do certain things. I promise you that if you walk in obedience, your emotions will eventually catch up. Notice what else Paul said. I'm, under I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. Why did he say this? Because in the Greek mindset, there were two categories of people, Greeks and everyone else. And barbarian is actually a term that is both a term of derision toward other languages as well as a figure of speech. It was actually the sound people made when they were making fun of these other languages. And Paul uses this common linguistic rooted, linguistically rooted term and applies it to our obligation to the gospel. Here's what it means. Our obligation extends beyond our circle of familiarity to the people around us who are unfamiliar, even those of other nations, languages, and cultures. We saw that on the day of Pentecost, didn't we? That's God's heart. But Paul took it one step further. He says, to both wise and to unwise. The Greco-Roman world highly valued educational credentials. And Paul is saying that his obligation extends to every person of every educational level. Paul ministered both down the educational level and up, the positional level, up and down. And that is a great example for us as well. Men of great learning, those without education, it doesn't matter. Every person on the planet needs to hear the gospel. And God specifically and strategically places us in the world so that the people in our world can get an opportunity to hear of Christ. The rationale is very simple. Jesus commanded us to go to all the world. You can't physically go to all the world, every individual, but the church as a whole, over generations and over geographies, can go to the whole world so that every 
language group, every culture, every educational level, indeed every person gets a chance to hear that Jesus Christ gave himself in their behalf. Paul said, secondly, I'm ready. Now, there's a textual problem here I want you to see, and we're going to begin by putting it up on the screen like this. The New King James says, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. The New American Standard caught that phrase as well in the beginning and translated it this way. So for my part, I'm, read, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. If you're using the ESV, you're at a, big, a slight disadvantage here this morning because they left the phrase out altogether. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. This is what I said to you just a moment ago that you would know why I was using the New King James this morning. There is, when we see a textual difference between translations, we normally assume there is a manuscript difference from the original languages. That's not the case here. No, what, he, what is here is an awkwardly structured Greek sentence. And I will just tell you, that I, I'm not sure why the ESV translators decided to leave it out altogether. That concerns me somewhat. But the phrase, and we're going to focus on the top one, as much as is in me, is very important for understanding Paul's point here. He's, and, and you also see how it's, me is capitalized there? That's my way of showing you that in the original language, this is an emphatic pronoun. It should be read like this. So, as much as is in me. That's his point. He is singling himself out in contrast to everyone else's behavior. Now catch his example here. And he's saying that while he can't answer for what everyone around him is doing, he himself is poised and ready to give an account for the hope that's within him. The other nuance of meaning that Paul is giving us is that wrapped up in this is also the implication of, of just being secure in his present status of growth. I don't know about you, but when I was young, like a young Christian in, in my 20s and 30s, I envisioned being as old as I am now. And I thought I would be a whole lot more mature in the Lord than I am. So, so I find this age a little disappointing. Can any older people kind of identify with me? <laughs> I, I'm disappointed that I'm not further along in Christ. I'm disappointed that some sins still have a hold on me. But Paul is saying, and don't miss this, as much as is in me, as much as is in me now, I'm ready to obey Christ. You see, it's not perfection that Paul's talking about. It's the process can you trust God for where you are right now? That walking out the door today and God gives you an opportunity to proclaim Christ to somebody, you can trust him for where you are in your walk with Christ. You don't have to be perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. Instead, he, uh, he, he, later he would say, I, I press on. And I think I've got that in a slide. I'll show you here in a minute. Listen to J.B. Phillips. I like this translation. It kind of sometimes clears it up. Verse 15, this is why I want, as far as my ability will carry me, to preach the gospel to you who live in Rome also. Well, I've spoken to enough church people in my life that uh, I know that readiness is somewhat a stumbling block for us. Many of us are insecure 
with our own level of growth. I just shared some of mine. And resultantly, when we get in an opportunity, we're unsure what to say to those who are unbelieving. And we also fear the outcome of that if we happen to stumble along the way. I know you feel what I feel. We've talked. But let me first say the solution to this is not to withhold the gospel because that's disobedience from the Lord, uh, disobedience to the Lord, and it also prevents them from hearing the very message they need to hear. So that's not the solution. The solution is spending time with the source of our strength, and that's the Lord Jesus himself, who's given you the Holy Spirit to live within you and to grow you and to provide you with God's heart and his thinking as it's revealed in the Word. That's why we're always encouraging you to stay in the Word, little by little, day by day. The Word will transform you and give you the heart and compassion of God for people. To have the readiness that Paul is speaking of here is simply to walk by faith. If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, and he is, that's your cue to respond, okay? If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead... If he is truly exalted to the right hand of the Father, and if he's sovereign over all of life, he can not only direct you, direct people to you who need to hear the word, but he can direct you in your present level of growth so that they hear what they need to hear. The issue then becomes, are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust him to do what he's called us to do. None of us, none of us has arrived. (laughs) Every one of us who's in Christ is on the road to maturity, and that is a lifelong process. In fact, when are you going to be mature? One second into eternity. (laughs) So how long does it take to become a mature Christian? A little more than a lifetime. Yeah. Until then, we press on. Paul said, I am ready to you who are in Rome also. Who are these? What you need to know here is these are people that Paul had never personally met. So here's my my question. Do we consider unknown people to be opportunities to proclaim Christ? He He said this to you who are in Rome Also, that one word implies that this is a pattern of obedience for Paul. He always saw people, unknown people, as opportunities to proclaim Christ. And you might think, well, I don't know what to say. Well, let me give you some starters. And these, uh, I'll just put these up on the screen here. Here's five points. I think these might be in your notes. Are they? Yes. Okay. Keep in mind that your calling is a divine endeavor. And it requires his anointing. Zechariah 4, 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, being translated, that means you've got nothing in yourself to offer, (laughs) but by my spirit, says the Lord. Love people genuinely. Show interest in them by asking them questions. Ask them about themselves. I sat beside a young man on an aircraft one time, and as we were landing... He asked me if I would take his email address and communicate with him. And I said, I will, but 
you know, people don't usually ask me that, and I'd like to know what your thinking is. And he said, Dave, you were interested in me. I wasn't just a project for you. I had given him how to become a Christian. But he said, I wasn't just a project. You cared about me. That drove, his, his message drove home into my heart. Care for people, love people. Learn to insert your story in a conversation with people. Your story is powerful. That's why Paul said, as much as is in me, where I am right now, God will use you. And he, he, will, he will do in you at the moment that he gives you an opportunity what you need. I remember years ago when I was still in the military, and I was in aircraft maintenance, so while our fighter jets were flying, we had a little time on our hands, and uh, it was in the desert, so we were standing to get out of the sun. We were standing under the wing of an aircraft just to be in the shade while our, waiting on hours to land. And this young man and I got into a conversation about spiritual things. And he kept coming against everything that I said. And I, and I was so frustrated with him, and I finally said in frustration, well, here's one thing you can't argue with. Jesus Christ changed my life. And I was shocked at his response. He said, well, you got me there. I learned something that day. Inserting your personal experience with God is important in the process of people seeing the reality of a relationship with God. And again, obey in the present tense, as much as is in me. And prepare for future opportunities. Yes, God can use us the way we are, but that's no reason to stay the way we are <laughs> because we haven't arrived. I mean, if you have, I sure want to talk to you, but I haven't. Paul said it like this. I referenced this a moment ago. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And Peter said it like this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always, how often? Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. What's a defense? I'll bet you Adam Hare knows. <laughs> it comes from two Greek, from a, it is a Greek word, apologia. It comes from, that's two words put together. Apo is a preposition, it means from. And logia is a noun, which means defense or an orderly well thought out reasoning. We get our word logic from this word. So what is, Paul, what is Peter saying? He's instructing, the Spirit of God through Peter is instructing us to be prepared and ready in a carefully thought out reasoned defense, ready to go, so that when he gives that message, that opportunity, we can step into that in obedience. We are messengers for Christ when we live obligated to the lost and ready to give an account for the hope that's within us. But also, Paul says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Notice verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then he's going to give us some reasons for it. To say I'm not ashamed is the same as saying I will engage Christ's commands without shrinking back. You see, dear ones, following Jesus and being ashamed of Jesus are two mutually exclusive behaviors. If you're ashamed of Christ in this world, it's because something is wrong. 
Either you think you're saved, but you are not, or you have allowed the love of Christ to be eclipsed by another love in this world. Is living unashamed of Christ and giving testimony for him go together. And here's why. Because it anchors you on the side of God in the world. You need to go ahead and throw that anchor. Don't wait. It also ensures that the lost have a chance to be saved. We are messengers of Christ. That's our calling. He has sent us into the same world in which he came. And he gave his life for every soul. Now, there's a little word there, F-O-R. Short word with a lot of meaning. It means that something is about to come that's going to support what he just said. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And here come the reasons. Because it, what is the it? It refers back to the gospel of Christ. Gospel means good news. It's good news that lost people can be saved because of the substitutionary work of Christ in their behalf. And Paul says the reason he's not ashamed is because the message, the message itself is power unleashed. Remember what he said. It's, it's not our persuasive words. It's the gospel. Now, what kind of power does it have? Well, thanks for asking. Let's look at that word. This is the word dunamis in the original language. We get our word dynamite from it. Dunamis means strength and force. You see what Paul is saying here? The gospel message is the force, it's the power, it's the strength of God to bring salvation. The truth of Christ is not just black ink on white paper in the Bible. The Spirit of God takes the message as it is proclaimed and he ignites it in the heart of the person who's ready to hear it and breathes life into a dead soul. Vicki and I were traveling a few years ago and our flights got canceled. Uh, it was a big mess. But what we discovered later was that God, in rerouting us, we were seated by this young lady who was just returning from her unexpected, the unexpected death of her father. And she was primed and ready to hear the message of hope in Christ. If our flight hadn't got canceled, that wouldn't have happened. It was a great learning experience for me, for sure. But that's the power of God. He brings it to bear on the heart that is ready to hear it. And, and as Ezekiel teaches us, he takes that stony, unresponsive heart and turns it into a fleshy, responsive one that, that, gives, that is alive and listens to the Spirit of God. And it raises dead souls into life again. You've experienced that when you came to Christ. Wouldn't it be lovely to watch it happen and to be a spiritual midwife in the lives of others? The message itself is the power of God. You don't have to be a well-honed, perfect evangelist. All you need to do is obey the Lord and trust Him, and He's going to move in you and through you. What effect does it have? It is the power of God to salvation. The word T-O means that it moves you from one position to another. The it, it, from sinlessness, I'm sorry, sinfulness to forgiveness, from death to life. The grace of God's salvation comes as the messenger. You and I proclaim the message. Faith comes by hearing. Finish it. And hearing by the word of God. That's right. Well, how effective is it? For everyone 
who believes. The transforming power of God is brought to bear upon a life by believing the truth. Jesus came to save sinners. I'm glad about that. He suffered and died in our place in order to give us eternal life. And in the place of some that you know and work with and that are in your families that have yet to understand that his death was for them. The offer is open to whosoever will turn from their self-reliance and receive his free gift of eternal life. And when true belief has occurred, life, lives are transformed. This is underscored by verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? Saving faith to sanctifying faith. The, the faith that gives you new life and the faith that grows you in new life. Because conversion to Christ is something that's evident. Just like growing in Christ is evident. Faith to faith implies the process of growing in the Christian life. Now, I want you to look back at your notes because as we circle the field here and line up to the runway, I want you to just think about these four points that will sort of help us apply this teaching today. Number one, and you have this in your handout, focus on Christ and his will. This means we avoid thoughts of ourselves. If you think about yourself, you're going to keep your, you're going to talk yourself out of every, every time. It's going to kill your obedience, but imitate Christ by emptying yourself for the cause of your Lord and his calling on you. Never assume disinterest. I'll just be honest with you and say that I've learned this one the hard way. We don't know what's going on in people's hearts. You can, you can have a hard, what appears to be a hard-hearted person in your circle, but you don't know if the message itself will penetrate their heart and cause them to want to be born again. Third, reject reliance on human means. This is another reference to Zechariah 4.6. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. There is nothing more thrilling than knowing that you've just been God's instrument to tell somebody what they needed to hear, the message of life. And that brings me to the last one. Remember the power of the message. The gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Some of you may not know who Vance Havner is, but I've given you that quote there in your notes. If you're older, you do. He's been with the Lord a long time. But he said this, we need a breed of people who are willing to be called the scum of the earth for the scandal of the cross. Paul said this in Romans 10:14. How can they call on one in whom they have never believed? How can they believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear unless someone proclaims him? Our calling on this earth, dear ones, is to be messengers of the truth of Christ. The world is dying. It is destined for a Christless eternity. That means being without God, being in hell, in the fires of hell for all eternity. It is not for the weekend. It never ends. The Bible describes it as eternal, terrible, destructive, and yet never-ending. 
Jesus said these words, where the worm does not die. And what kind of worm? A maggot, you know, the, the destructive type. It doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. These are, this is nothing that you should ever want your worst enemy to go through. What a horrible, horrible picture of doom that awaits every person who's outside of Christ. In the 19th century, there was a, a man named Charles Peace. You may have heard me mention him before. He was a very hard, corrupt man, a thief and a murderer. He was condemned to death, and on the morning of his execution, Peace was escorted on the death walk by the prison chaplain. The chaplain began to read from the, a book called The Consolations of Religion about the fires of hell. And as he was reading, peace interrupted him with these words. Sir, I, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Those are gripping words. In our generation, Penn Jelliet said something just as gripping. If you don't know who that is, he's uh, the talker in the, uh, the illusion team, Penn and Teller. In his blog, when he was given a Bible by someone, he wrote that he actually respected this man for giving him a Bible, for having the courage, knowing that he was an atheist, to give him that Bible. Because he said, if you don't proselytize, I don't respect you. You don't really believe what you say you believe. And here's the quote I want you to take home with you. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? Those are gripping words. Back to our three I am statements. Beloved, are you under obligation? Well, the answer is yes, you are. We are. Our Lord's commission still stands that we are to take his good news to everyone that we can. Are you ready? Are you trusting God for your point of maturity up to today? To obey him. You know you're not perfect. He knows you're not perfect. But he's God. Are you unashamed? Would you bow your heads with me? There might be some in the room whose real need is to fully surrender to Christ as the Lord and Savior. To fully come to him to have your sins forgiven this morning and to have eternal life granted to you as a gift. We invite you to do that right where you are. God is in this room. And if he's speaking to you, then you need to respond to him. Would you do that? If you need help understanding what to do, please see myself or Jeff or Key, or Douglas, or someone that you know that can help you. Christian, while your head is bowed and you're thinking, perhaps you've been disobedient to your calling. Confess your sin. 
and return to a posture of obedience. We're about to come to the table of the Lord, and you do not wish to take unworthily. You wish to take as a clean vessel before the Lord. Maybe some of us have been selective, even prejudiced, about who will hear and who won't. This is wrong. Christ died for all people, and it's not up to us to decide who will listen and who won't. We are to spread the seed of his gospel on all types of soils, to use his illustration. We don't know people's hearts, whether or not they will turn to the gospel. If you've been lethargic or distracted or even afraid, these are things that need to be laid down before the Lord. And his strength, his confidence, and his courage exchanged and embraced. Father, would you help us as your people to be clean before you, to walk in obedience, because you are worthy and your message is what all people need to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As has become our custom because of COVID, we want to think about these things and as we come to the table of the Lord, our, our